0: Bruner, and you're listening to Truth of the Spirit. Over the years, the Lord's wisdom has shown me that each of us need to be reminded of the facets of our Christian faith. This is one of the goals of Truth of the Spirit podcast. Returning to the basics, podcast will allow you to access teaching and the actions of those inspired by the Holy Spirit. Please join me now as we look to the Catholic Church established by Jesus Christ to share the basics of faith. Today, Truth of the Spirit is exploring the basics of using the catechism of the Catholic Church. Having catechisms and instructions of faith has been around since the beginning of the Church with the apostles and their teaching called the Didache. The Catechism of the Catholic Church was first published in 1992. This was the first universal catechism since the Council of Trent's Roman Catechism first published in 1566. Other English catechisms include the U.S. Baltimore Catechism, first published in 1885, and a 2009 U.S. Catechism for Adults. There's even a catechism for dummies. The Catechism of the Catholic Church is not a book to pick up and read from start to finish. It's more like a reference book. To understand how this book is put together, I'm going to walk you through it. Even if you use an online version of the catechism, there are some basics that you need to know to navigate successfully. I always recommend the full-size catechism for purchasing versus the less expensive pocket-sized version because of the additional reference material. The online version provided by the USCCB is great to use. I have a link for you on my website. I like to have a card copy and the online copy at my fingertips when researching and to copy and paste particular paragraphs into documents. After I share how to use the Catechism, I'll share with you a little information about the contributors to this amazing document of the Catholic Church. The Catechism of the Catholic Church is divided into four main parts. They are the baptismal profession of faith, which includes the creeds, the sacraments of faith, the celebration of Christian mystery, That includes the liturgy and the seven sacraments. The third section is the life of faith, life in Christ, life in the Spirit, and the Ten Commandments. And then the fourth section is the prayer of the believer. And in this you'll find Christian prayer life and the Lord's Prayer. If you're picking up the catechism for the first time and want to browse, it was suggested by Bishop Andrew MacDonald when the catechism was first published that you start with the section on prayer. Most people, I have found, open the book for the first time when they have a question about the faith or to look up a paragraph reference. This also plans to read the catechism in a year that's available online. I plan to give you a practical guide for using the Catechism of the Catholic Church. My advice to you is that as you open the CCC for the first paragraph of the first section, is don't get lost by the numbers. Each paragraph throughout the book begins with its own unique number. There's lots of cross-references in the margin of the text, Numbers found at the edge of the sentences refer to other paragraphs in the Catechism that deal with specific items presented in the paragraph you're looking at or which expand on the theme. When you get familiar With using the Catechism, you will find yourself treasure hunting by heading to many other paragraphs in various chapters to find depth and different viewpoints of the topic you are researching. Footnote numbers start over at each chapter. Footnote references are given within the paragraphs, and the details are listed at the bottom of the page. Some footnotes seem to be written in code. But these are because they use abbreviations, and those are explained elsewhere in the book. Footnote numbers, like I said, start over each chapter. There is much treasure in these footnotes, and I'll address these golden nuggets later. At the end of each thematic unit, a series of brief texts sums up the essentials of that unit's teaching in condensed form. It's easy to find with the subtitle in brief. It's a kind of a this is what we just told you in a simplified version, but I have found a few new treasures in them as well. Let's flip to the back of the book to the index. The Analytical Index was designed to be both a subject index as well as a conceptual index of the contents of the Catechism. These tools allow the reader to view each theme in its relationship with the entirety of the faith, and you will find specifics and ranges of paragraphs. The index can be overwhelming at times, like a map or a GPS. After you pick a topic, then you have to narrow it down to decide which avenue to take to get to where you want to go. For instance, if you look up the subject of the anointing of the sick, you can search for the right, the effects on the of the minister, the... Preparation, the purpose, the history, for whom it is intended, or you can also just look up the sacraments in the index. Paragraph numbers are provided for your search. The index is only one place to find answers and directions of where to search. The Catechism also has a glossary that covers some of the major themes. It defines the term for you, and then lists the range of paragraphs that cover it. Remember I told you that the Catechism is broken into four main parts. Turn to the front of the book now, to the contents, and you will find that each of the four parts is also broken into very concise sections. The content lists each section of the Catechism, not by each paragraph, but in a formal document style. If you ever created term papers with bibliography and a contents, then you'll see the similarity. This can be confusing for all of us who do not do term papers or church document research on a regular basis. Each of the four main sections is broken down by chapters, articles, and paragraphs that continually restart. Each article within the chapters of the section is an in-brief summary. To find something using the contents, the important thing is to remember to use the page numbers that is given. Now the fun begins as we dig deeper for treasure and turn to the index of citations towards the end of the book. One of the main sources of information in the Catechism is Sacred Scripture. The first section in the Index of Citations lists every Bible verse that is used in the Catechism, by biblical book, chapter, and verse, and gives you the CCC paragraph numbers. So, if you are reading, say, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel and are curious how the church applies the Beatitudes, you can look at the Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12 in the index of the citations and then look at each of the various catechism paragraphs that quotes these scripture verses. And after you've done all that, there's more. In the index of the citations, there are citations to church documents from the councils, from popes, and documents written by the magisterium. There are citations from documents from saints and ecclesial writers, both ancient and modern. The footnotes throughout the catechism makes use of these citations using abbreviations of various documents. For example, L.G. stands for Lumen Gentium, which you can then find in the citations. Lumen Gentium was an important document of Vatican II Council, written November 21, 1964. The table of abbreviation is towards the end of the book and will help you identify those footnotes. As you look over this list of citations, you begin to realize the scope of teachings of the Catholic Church and that have gone into the preparation of this book. The Catechism of the Catholic Church is a statement of the Church's faith and Catholic doctrine, attested to and illumined by sacred scripture, the apostolic tradition, and the Church's magisterium. I want to make sure that as you use the Catechism of the Catholic Church, you are aware that it is a promulgation of the teaching tradition of the Church since the time of Christ. It is a reliable document that considered all the important documents of the Church at its date of publication. Under the direction of St. Pope John Paul II, The Catechism of the Catholic Church is the result of a very extensive collaboration. You can read about how it was promulgated and published in the front of the book. The Commission of Cardinals, Bishops, and Theologians assigned by Pope John Paul II in 1987 was chaired by Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, who later became Pope Benedict XVI. By the power of the Holy Spirit, the huge undertaking of a universal catechism was finished and approved in 1992. So, who do you quote in taking such a monumental undertaking, such as a modern catechism, for use by the entire church? Well, certainly, you want to quote the inspired Word of God and use the actual words of Jesus in sacred scripture. The Vatican II documents from 1962 to 1965 are also a wonderful source. They restate the teachings of the church with clarity. Other particular councils and synods also have nuggets of wisdom. The pontifical documents, especially encyclicals or letters uh, available starting with the early popes all through Pope John Paul II, were studied and quoted. The Roman Catechism, various documents, and canon law also were studied and used. The Catechism also quotes various saints and doctors of the church. Just as information was shared by Jesus to his apostles and from his apostles to the church, so too we also have other individuals provided information about God and his plan for our salvation to us. The Catechism of the Catholic Church did not rely on today's theologians, but drew from the deep well of teachings that have always been the tradition of the Catholic Church. The saint most quoted in the Catechism is Saint Augustine, with eighty eight citations. Saint Augustine, who lived in the three hundreds to the four hundreds, after the Nicene Creed was established. He is famous because his mother, Saint Monica, prayed so long for his conversion, which finally happened after he heard Saint Ambrose preaching at age thirty two. Saint Ambrose is also quoted in the catechism. Augustine was ordained as a priest in Africa in three ninety two, and over four hundred of his sermons are preserved. Augustine's greatest contribution to Christianity was in doctrine. The African church was infested with heresies, and the bishop Augustine devoted himself to refuted them. He pioneered in formulating many of the basic documents, such as on grace, original sin, and free will. In Catechism 2001, St. Augustine teaches us that the preparation of man for grace is already a work of grace. Indeed, we also work, but we are only collaborating with God who works, for His mercy has gone before us. It has gone before us so that we may be healed and follows us so that once healed, we may be given life. It goes before us so that we may be called and follows us that we may be glorified. It goes before us that we may live devoutly and follows us so that we may always live with God. For without Him, we can do nothing. St. Augustine was drawn to the faith by the preaching of St. Ambrose, who is cited 21 times. He preached in Milan so consistently and vehemently against Arianism that within 10 years after his consecration as bishop, there was not a citizen in the world who adhered to that heresy. The Arian heresy, their concept of Christ is that the Son of God did not always exist, but was created by God the Father. Oh, he eradicated that. What a difference one man can make who shares the truth. Now, the Arian heresy raises its head to confuse even in modern time, such as in the Church of Latter-day Saints and Jehovah's Witnesses. They need the truth of Ambrose, don't they? St. Ambrose, he says this uh, in the paragraph 1375, the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. He says, Be convinced that this is not what nature has formed, but what the blessing has consecrated. The power of the blessing prevails over that of nature because by the blessing, nature itself is changed. Could not Christ's word, which can make from nothing what did not exist, change existing things into what they were not before? It is no less feat to give things their original nature than to change their nature. Second place in the number of citations by a saint with 61 citations is St. Thomas Aquinas, who lived in the 1200s. St. Thomas Aquinas was such a prolific writer and intelligent theologian, he alone is quoted from his century. He is recognized universally as one of the great thinkers of all time. The Summa Theologica and his commentaries on the Bible are but a few of his works. In his immense intellectual production, he attempted to show how everything that exists is related to God, and all his works are merely the result of his intense love for his Creator. The Holy Eucharist was the center of Thomas's life and he told his brother friars that he learned more from that source than from all the books he had ever read. In honor of the Blessed Sacrament, he wrote the song "Pange Lingua, as well as other hymns. In Catechism number 1374, St. Thomas Aquinas says that the mode of Christ's presence under the Eucharistic species is unique. It raises the Eucharist above all the sacraments as the perfection of the spiritual life and the end to which all the sacraments tend. Other Hall of Famers are St. Arrhenius of Lyons with 32, St. Ignatius of Antioch with 18, and St. John Christostom with 18. We have quotes from men taught directly by the Apostles. Barnabas, St. Clement of Rome, St. Ignatius of Antioch. The leaders of the next generation of Catholics in the 100s include St. Justin and Polycarp of Smyrna, and others for most centuries thereafter. As the faith spread quickly through the empire of Constantine, saints who lived in the 300s spent a lot of time there, of their writing to contradict heresies that arose in the church. As the magisterium chose truth from among the current teachings, these men shined the light of Christ on our faith. When everyone believes the same thing, There's not a lot of discourse. So by defending and explaining what truth is, we get a fullness of the truth. Church documents throughout history prove that out. In 325, we had the Major Council of Nicaea, which gave us the version of the Creed that we now use, and the council documents wrote down clearly many of the beliefs of the early church. And again, you'll see a whole section on creeds in the catechism. St. Catherine of Siena from the 1300s is the earliest woman quoted outside of biblical references. She was a mystic whose charisms included visions and prophecy. She first heard the voice of God when she was only five years old. And if you don't count those who were canonized after the publication of the catechism, such as Pope John Paul II, the most modern saints quoted in the catechism comes from the 1800s. St. Therese of the Child Jesus of Lisieux, Cardinal John Henry Newman, and the Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity. Now, St. Gregory of Nazianos, from the early days, is one of my favorite saints in the catechism, not because of who he was, but because of what he writes. The Church remembers this gentle man of learning and holiness as one of her four great Greek doctors of the faith, and also has given him the title of the theologian, a title he shares with only one other man, St. John the Evangelist. During his service as bishop in Constantinople, Gregory met vicious tactics of the Arian heretics. They even made attempts on his life with the only weapons at his disposal, holiness and learning. He began to give a series of sermons on the root problem of the heresy, the dogma of the Trinity. These sermons, known today as the Theological Discourses, contain some of the most profound and moving theological exposition ever produced in the church. In Catechism 684, St. Gregory shares this with us about the revelation of the Holy Spirit. He says, The Old Testament proclaimed the Father clearly, but the Son more obscurely. The New Testament revealed the Son and gives us a glimpse of the divinity of the Spirit. Now the Spirit dwells among us and grants us a clearer vision of Himself. He says, It was not prudent when the divinity of the Father had not yet been confessed to proclaim the Son openly, and when the divinity of the Son was not yet admitted, to add the Holy Spirit as an extra burden, to speak somewhat daringly by advancing And progressing from glory to glory, the light of the Trinity will shine in ever more brilliant rays. And so we see that today, don't we? The gift of the Holy Spirit, our God, the Holy Spirit, shines light today in our hearts and minds. St. Gregory Nassianus is quoted in the section on prayer, Catechism 2697, how to pray. It says, prayer is the life of the new heart. It ought to animate us at every moment. But we tend to forget him who is our life and our all. Then quoting St. Gregory of Nassianus, it says, we must remember God more often than we draw breath. Can you do that? Can you remember God with every breath you take? I challenge you to choose a favorite saint of your own or a document that is quoted in the catechism. They are part of the treasure of the church that's waiting for you in plain sight if you only dig a little. This has only been an introduction of great documents of the church that are placed within the catechism of the Catholic Church. They are God's gift to us. We grow little by little, and as you become more familiar with them, you will become more familiar with God. I'm going to end with a quote from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 26. The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, that the Father will send in my name, he will teach you everything and remind you all that I told you. This is the words of Jesus and the Holy Spirit speaking to us. I have no doubt that the Holy Spirit inspired each writer of the documents within the Catechism of the Catholic Church itself. And there's more. Within the Holy Spirit, there's always more. You've been listening to Truth of the Holy Spirit. This is the Padua Podcast Network, Network padawapodcastnetwork.com.